0: Four hundred and
1: 486
0: 486
1: 80, 60, 80, 60, 80, 60, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80,
0: 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80,
1: 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, I'll go for potato. Delicious
0: this particular episode of The Shy Life is, is a little more abstract than usual. Oh, okay, it looks like the hairy guy is ready to record. Three, two,
1: one. Go Shy Yeti. Oh, my, I hope he hasn't found out my secret. I think he has. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of The Shy Life Podcast with me, Paul The Shy Yeti. How you doing? I'm all right. So, what's this episode going to be about? Well, it is going to be another poetic episode. I've been uh, promising this one for a while, because back in 2011, I released three books of uh, poetry and short stories, and this is the third of them, and it's called Funeral for a Shoe. Now, uh, I I have also promised to... uh, um, celebrate the 20th anniversary of my first collection junk food but as uh, that came out late in 2001 uh well we'll see how things go and if the worst comes to the worst we'll celebrate it at the start of 2022 but uh, anyway but yeah funeral for a shoe um we'll run the theme music and when we come back i'll uh, tell you all about the book i'll read you some of my favorite pieces and I may even be discussing it with a special guest. And I'm sure the regulars will be about as well. Okay, let's run that theme music. It's time for my old buddy, old pal, from across the channel, across the pond, Bob Chandler for Shy Eddie. He's
0: not that shy. Oh, it's a Shy Nice Podcast.
1: All I wanted was a pie, and then I hatched out of an egg. Okay, bring the mic over. He's ready to record. It's the quiet
0: ones you've got to watch, you know. Is it metaphorical? Is it? Is it deep? Is it deep?
1: Play. <laughs> he's not all that shy. Is right. Shh. me governor. It's the Shy Life Podcast. If you thought that was bad, just listen to this.
0: Oh, I can't wait! I can't wait for it to begin.
1: It's the Shy Life Podcast. He's positively glowing. It's all green and yum 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 yum. So, funeral for a shoe. Um it's quite a chunky volume actually. I don't know if I've got i got page numbers in this. Yeah. Oh yes so I have. It's uh three hundred and fifty-two pages long. And there are all, all manner of uh Things, stories poems scripts even um in funeral for a shoe and uh, it was the third of the three books i released in 2011 goodness knows how i managed to write quite so much uh but i did i've never released three poetry stroke short story collections um since 2011 but 2009 and 2011 were similarly uh, prolific years anyway so let's start with the cover it um i'm not sure it's my favorite cover of of, of the books that i've done looking at it now it it's a bit homegrown but they all are to a certain extent um but uh, in all there are five pictures and, and a couple of yetis that they're all pictures of me pulling faces with a slightly dirty pair of converse which I guess is meant to be the shoe that's having a funeral. I was very into my Converse trainers around this time because this was written during the years where I was still visiting L.A. quite a bit, um, which I did uh, in, in 2010 and 2011 on a number of occasions. Um, actually, I, I'd kind of forgotten. I always think of this book as being called Funeral for a Shoe, which it is, but it, it, it does have a slightly longer title. Um, or, or an alternative title, Funeral for a Shoe and Other Somber Moments. I'd completely forgotten about that, but... Uh, anyway, um, let's read the back cover. Funeral for a Shoe is the latest collection from Paul Chandler, otherwise known as Shy Yeti, and includes the poems Love Go Round, Psychopaths Still Have Feelings, Your Final Girl, and the short stories Done and Dusted, Rest in Peace Pet, and Summer Skies. There are almost a hundred pieces in this volume, a novella, Elegy at the Funeral for a Shoe, and two playlets, The Beast of Friends and Skeptic. Yes, indeed. Now, this collection also has quite a number of, of uh, photos inside the book, of course, and it has some artwork. In a way, it's a shame I didn't get the person who did the artwork to do me a, a proper book cover, but uh, the sort of linked story Funeral for a Shoe uh, that... Sort of goes across this, which appears in this book. I got some artwork especially done for it, but uh, anyway. So let's look inside. It was written between March and July 2011. I then worked between July and October proofing it. A draft version was released in October, then there was a first edition and a final second edition um, released in November and then December 2011. So yeah, it did come out very late in the year, and of course. There's the same behind-the-scenes, um, like uh, little essays on each poem, and also what I was up to with uh, gigs and um, videos on YouTube, etc. Uh, let's, uh, let's turn to the contents page. I'll read you the titles of the, uh, the pieces in this collection. So here we go. Adolescent Cats, All Gone alternative rock and roll lifestyle an actor's life animating the inanimate another icon bites the dust then we have some more Auntie Astrid uh, Auntie Astrid's angst arena Um, then we have Bad Luck Scary The Beast of Friends Brains The Busker Catty Clinging On for Dear Life Coming Out A Dangerous Craving for Innocence Death of a Girl Band Dodging the Assassin's Bullet. A Dog's Life on Primrose Hill. Done and Dusted. Energy at the Funeral for a Shoe. Parts 1 to 5. The End of the Queue. Exchange Trip. The Face. Flirting with a Copycat. Free Coffee. From Argument to Ornament. Going Out with a Bang. A Good Murder Needs Preparation. Hair Razor. Happy for Them. Hell to Pay. Hot for just one night, The Huntress, I'm a Stooge for Your Love, The Imposter, The Ineffectual Assassin, International Squid Rescue, Karma, Keep in Touch, Lost Inside, Love Go Round, Maria and the Cafe Girls, Memory Loss, The Mind of a Cat, A Most Boring Man, Mother Meet Paris, More from Auntie Astrid, My Hot Date with a Good Book, my last words, my own company, a needy victim, the new lion, no smoke without fire, on the cover of a mucky magazine, the optician's daughter, part of the furniture, pause for thought, peace of mind in a tea bag, a perfect match, psycho killers still have feelings, a question of eyelashes, a reformed character, rest in peace, pet, uh, then we have skeptic. 7.20am, hungover, the smell of wet dog on the bus, a souvenir of the trip, a special kind of fame, a spider spider, a stand against world hunger, stout legs in a summer storm, such a good boy, summer skies, their pain my pleasure, them vampires such charmers, tickets please, to your heart's content, the true extent of my genius, 25 years later, Unearthing the past Why do cuckoos spit Why do spacemen all have such stupid names You cannot make Paris look boring You say that like it's a bad thing And you're final girl So looking at the pieces in this book I'd say the ones that I performed most of all Would have been Death of a Girl Band Possibly, mother, meet Paris. Peace of mind in a tea bag. Then vampires, such charmers. The true extent of my genius. Hello, deals. <coughs> yeah, yeah. <coughs> yes, you were about when I wrote this book. <coughs> yes, you were probably. Prob- I'm sure there are pictures of you in this book. <coughs> yeah, of course there will be. You are the best source of photos, the subject for photos, aren't you? Hey. Such a handsome mouse. Um, sorry, yeah. Uh, so yes, those, uh, those pieces, uh, are probably the ones I performed most from this collection. Um, love go round as well. Uh, that, that's another one. Oh, Deals. Don't, sorry. Dili has arrived and, uh, he's, um. He's got things to say, haven't you, Deals? Hey, eh? Are you going to stay whilst I read something? Hey, eh? Are you going to stay whilst I read something? Dear, oh dear, let's see. Adolescent Cats My cat has just hit that awkward teenage stage. He sleeps all day. Gives me hostile, inconvenience looks whenever I disturb him. He leaves his food untouched, scrapes at it like something in his litter tray, is fussy and uncommunicative. I worry about his reading habits too. I catch him scanning the back of the tacky-free paper that I leave in his basket as extra bedding, but suggest he tries something more highbrow? Well, Well, don't bother. I've seen him eyeing up other cats, the ones from the estate. I don't approve. I catch him whispering in the ears of mice, conspiratorially. What's all that about? Of course, he's all over you when he wants something. bits off your plate, rare attention, catnip. No way is he getting catnip anymore, after he practically pinned the milkman down last week. I look forward in hope for when he grows out of this stage. when he goes to university, or, or better still, dons a suit and heads for the big smoke bowler-hatted and carrying a copy of the Financial Times. A proper city gentleman. Oh yes, I can't wait until this feline passes his teenage phase, takes some responsibility, makes eye contact, and doesn't twitch his ears and look embarrassed whenever I speak to him. Sleeps normal hours, maybe even makes me breakfast in bed now and again. All this adolescent tom foolery will then seem worth it. How I dream of those days can't be long now surely can it this one's called alternative rock and roll lifestyle i can't believe what i'm seeing she's doing it right there in front of me cracking open the earl gray popping the tea bags into the pot pouring on the hot water and offering it around anyone for tea tea really how do people get away with stuff like this i look around watch the crowd in the dressing room They're all doing it, helping themselves. One man has two cups and he's taking a sip from each alternately. Oh my, someone has a pack of digestives open, chocolate ones too. What if someone sees them? I'm not sure I can cope with all this. What if someone overdoes it, chokes on biscuit crumbs and is found in a huddle in a corner? I look around some more and see a couple by the window eating finger sandwiches little cucumber ones, and what may even be smoked salmon. Vol says someone in my ear. I stare at it in horror. I see prawns and rocket leaves. (laughs) No, thank you, I cry. Maybe later. I try not to make eye contact with anyone. The whole place is doing my head in. Someone has just brought in a large plate of chicken drumsticks. They're coated in a sticky honey dressing, and one woman has it all over her mouth. She's licking the honey coating off her fingers and laughing. The man at her side is trying to eat a creme brulee. Sideways. This is so debauched. Think of the calories. I see a nun by the bar ordering peppermint tea, and nibbling on a mini baby bell. She smiles at me. I don't know where to look. Trying to keep it together, I reach out for a paper cup of gin. Except, (gasps) it isn't gin, it's water. Sparkling water. I panic. Heading for the door. I'm too old for rock and roll parties these days. It's not for me. I'm going home. I need to calm down and get some rest. All I need now is a Jack Daniels, a line of coke and an early night. Now this next piece is called Brains. I'm not going to count the words. But I have a feeling there are one or two like a hundred word stories or very short stories in this collection. Which sort of uh, comes off the back of me doing Vampire Cows of Scumthorpe. But, uh, so yeah, this is certainly a very short piece. If it's if it's not a hundred words, certainly not much more brains. The riot was over. The protesters had either dispersed or been arrested. It was only now that the true impact was finally being appreciated. The officer looked sombre as the chief super approached. It's it's worse than we thought, sir, he explained. We, we found a room full of people. I mean, it, it's horrible. I don't know what we can do for them. It's like they've had their brains removed. The chief super looked impatient. What exactly has happened to them? Are you saying that they're... they're dead? No, but it's as if they've all become zombies or something. The chief super gave a short sigh of relief. "I, I wouldn't worry if I were you, he replied, indicating the sign in the lecture hall where they now stood. I rather suspect that's how they're meant to be, he added. The words above the stage said it all. Party, political, conference. Well, you know... Ah, here's some pictures of Deals. I'm not going to read this because it's a, a bit of a longer story, but it's called Catty. And there's a, there, yeah, there's a picture of, of Deals, one of him all sort of curled up and one of him looking out the window. Um, actually from 2008, so when he was only like, four years old or something. Three or four, actually. Um, yes, yeah, so there's quite a lot of stories around this point. Um, there's one called Clicking On For Dear Life um again that's quite a long one this one's called uh coming out actually i don't think any of the ones i've read so far have been actual poems there have been more prose pieces but uh, uh we will get to some poetry anyway coming out last night i came out to my parents about being a poet oh bless them they tried their very hardest they really did but i could tell they didn't approve or were somehow afraid for me Part of them was just plain disapproving, unaccepting, disappointed. Now, I'm sorry, but I won't be having any of that. It is the 21st century, for goodness sakes. Their lack of support only makes me feel as equally disappointed in them. But still, I I gritted my teeth and I calmly answered all of their questions. Yes, indeed, I do use rhyme, but I think very carefully before I do so. I've got to do it right, find a perfect fit for the words. It's not just slapdash comedy verse, I spend a lot of time on it. Mum, Dad, nobody writes limericks anymore. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but we've moved on. Come on, that's just an old-fashioned stereotype, as is that all other forms of poetry are simply pretentious. Not that I write many poems about winter trees or human tragedy myself, but I support any of my fellow poets who choose to do so. That said, I reassured them on a couple of other points – Free verse I use sparingly. It's difficult sometimes not letting it slip into prose. I'm sorry, but for me, iambic pentameters right out. I'm just not having it. It's dead, extinct. I don't care for it. Greater poets than myself are welcome to have fun with it, but but it's just not for me. Moving on, yes, occasionally I do use stanzas. I've flirted with choruses, and I once even experimented with haiku. I, I didn't like it. I had to lie down in a dark room afterwards. I suppose in time my parents will come to accept me for the poet that I am. It's a long, hard battle, but I believe it's one worth fighting. One day, perhaps, poets will stand among normal people without stigma. Sonnets will be an accepted form of currency, ditties celebrated by the masses. The top 40 will be full of carefully thought out, spoken word pieces. We'll be on TV, commenting on the events of the day, with complicated analogies and intricate metaphors next day at school around the water fountain kids will talk about what they heard graffiti artists will write up random lines on walls and wear it on their t-shirts. A brave new world, all poetic prejudices forgotten. When that day arrives we will truly know that we have won, that we have forged our own path and that finally we have been accepted. There you go. Now I want to there's quite a lot of short prose in this collection and there's, there's one or two more I want to read but I think perhaps I should find something a little bit more um, poetic. I also feel I should read you something uh, from Elegy at the Funeral for a Shoe but, well, we'll see. Again, we will return to that later. I did promise you a poem and the more I go through this book the more I realise that uh, this really isn't a a collection of traditional poems. It's far more prose-based. Let me read one that definitely is a poem. Then we can come back to some of those other pieces. Okay, so this is... You say that like it's a bad thing. You say that like it's a bad thing. You say that like it's a sin. I really don't think you should worry as you strip off your clothes with a grin. Why not do something useful for starters? It's so easy to sit there and judge. Don't just stand there and criticise me, love. Or I'll likely develop a grudge. You're so dizzy you come across foolish. Kind of dozy, eternally thick. If you've got a mad look in your eye, dear. Well, I think you should see someone quick. I'm not sure I admire your values. You're really an absolute goon. Your idea of a night on the town is to be out there to howl at the moon. Oh, my dear, they're going to find you. They will make sure you take all the blame. I don't say it like it's a bad thing. We've just finally seen through your game. You say that like it's a bad thing. You say that like you despair. There you stand, acting ever so saintly, but you're shacking your Swedish au pair. Your opinions, they seem kind of muddled. I'm not sure what you're trying to say. With your morals completely pedantic and your ethics decidedly grey, you're really not fitted to comment. Oh, please drive yourself into the ground. You will speak like your wisdom is legend. I'll pretend that I've not heard a sound. "'If your words give us all food for thought, dear, "'then we're not given much to digest. "'I'm not sure that we know what you're saying. "'In a way, perhaps that's all for the best.' "'Oh, my dear, they're going to get you "'and sure that you now do your time. "'I don't say it, though, like it's a bad thing. "'It's only fair that you pay for your crime. "'You say that like it's a bad thing. "'You say that like it's a chore. Oh, "'Why do you get up in the morning "'if it's all such a terrible bore? "'It's a crime, though, no one is listening.' It's a crime, but we cannot be bought. We're not born with such talents as these, see? No poor manners can only be taught. You sit up on high like some expert, with your advisers a whole load of clones. I would never take advice you're giving. In your greenhouse you're still throwing stones. I'm not sure you'll get out of this one. Do you think we're all still on your side? Do you think that your public will save you? No, because you've taken us all for a ride. Oh, my dear, they're going to arrest you. They will grab you before you can flee. I don't say it, they're like it's a bad thing. All I hope is they swallow the key. I will read some more of these short um, prose pieces, Uh, but I'll read one more poem before we go back to those. As I said before, this is one that uh, I did perform quite a lot, and there's definitely a video of this that I recorded when I was over in LA. Them vampires, such charmers. Them vampires, such charmers, they've a way with their words. They've a way with the charm with the gents and the birds. See them in their best suits whilst they put on a show. They'll be reading your mind so they seem in the know. Think I'm making this up? This ain't one of my rants. It's a cheap trick, I declare, to get into your pants. Or they'll spin you a line and infer you are choosy. But they do it to you in each sad two-bit floozy. Them vampires, such charmers, they've a good deal of style, with meticulous minds and a hypnotic smile. So please lock up your loved ones, so they don't come to grief. They have a wandering eye and sharp razor-like teeth. They'll do all that they can to stop millionaires' tickers, and then squander their money to get into your knickers. Oh, they'll lure you to bed and outrageously flirt, but the place where they'll rest is deep down in the dirt. Them vampires, such charmers, they have a strange attitude. One minute they're nice, then the next in a mood, In a second they'll snap and your name will be mud. Is it just that they're grumpy or do they still crave your blood? Just be careful, that's all, and keep hold of your stake. Don't go taking a nap, no, keep right wide awake. Don't believe their endearments when they ask for a peck. Remember, it's not a kiss that they want, just a drink from your neck. Death of a Girl Band I was in a girl band once. There were five of us. And at first, everything went well. We had hits, groupies, gold records, as much champagne as we could drink. We were called the sparkles. And for the first few years, we really were the business. However, like many before us, it all exploded in tragedy. It simply didn't end up as well as it had begun. And I was devastated when they died. I mean, a solo career was the last thing on my mind. It was truly traumatic. And yes, I know, accidents happen. Accidents happen and hairdryers mistakenly fall into jacuzzis. That could have been me, you know, had I not been in talks with our manager next door at the time. But, But what can I say? The truth will out, and although I don't wish to be indiscreet, it would be fair to say that those girls never really liked me. In fact, you might even say that they hated me. I know it was partially because they were jealous, furious that I was the only natural blonde, the best shimmy in the group, with a real flair for pouting. They always claimed that it was because they were girls and I was a man. How petty! So, what did that matter? I never peeked in the dressing rooms. Why would I have wanted to? No, I just got on with it. Wore waterproof mascara to mask the tears until one day they were gone and it was only me. Au revoir, my poor dear darlings. The sparkles were no more. Kiki, Trixie, Katie, Simone, and me, Bob. That was me, Bobina da Vinci. The only one left, the survivor. Still, looking back now from the Indian summer of my career, I am content. My days of beehives and miniskirts are finally over. I have no regrets. Life is good and I am fabulous. Married to a Premier League footballer almost 20 years my junior. Still strutting the catwalks of Milan. There I go, see me now, sporting the most luxuriant moustache you have ever seen. This piece is called Done and Dusted. Sitting in the lounge, I glance over at my sleeping husband and notice that he is collecting dust on his forehead. I am keen not to wake him, but equally I do not like him making the place look untidy. Grabbing my duster, I gently polish his head, using just a little furniture polish for good measure. The trouble is, once I have started, I find it hard to stop, moving down to dust his feet and then working upwards, his legs, knees, crotch and torso, working up to his neck and face and back to where I started. Having finished this, I then become irritated that only one side has been dusted. So as he snores, I quickly flip him over on the sofa and lightly clean the rest of him. Just as I finish the back of his knees, I hear him snort, and fearful of being caught out, I almost drop him on the carpet. My worries, however, are unfounded. All he has to say is, You missed a bit. And indeed I have. Open wide, I grin advancing purposefully so another old piece that uh, I included in this uh, book is a story called the face now let me check this was originally uh, part of a series called the copernicus files which was a script but this short story um sort of was um what started it all out I'm just looking to see what is it says. The face. It, it actually has a, a, a date of May 1990. Now, the face was a story that I wrote for an essay for an exam, and I enjoy. I liked it so much that when I got home, I wrote it again because obviously, when you do an exam, if it's a you know that was around the time of my GCSEs. So that was an, a story that I actually you know I wrote in an exam situation, and that was the last I saw of it. I mean, I got a, a, a pretty good mark for my. I think it was English. I think it was English language GCSE, that I got an A for. So, it can't have been the worst thing I ever did. Uh, anyway, when I got home, I wrote the story again because I didn't want to lose it. But obviously, you don't. Obviously, when you do a proper exam, you don't get your your papers back. So yeah, there was no point in waiting for anything to come back because that wouldn't have happened. So I had to go home that night and write it again but I then turned it into a series of stories and a script series and and everything. I guess that I must have found a copy from the early 90s when I was uh, working on this book and then just sort of retyped it. This is definitely uh, quite an interesting collection in the point of view that it's a right mixture of things that are kind of... um, things I was writing at the time, but things that had been lying around that didn't have a home. Uh, I'm just looking in the... uh, When going through some files in early 2011, I found this first episode, although none of the others. The only changes I made when typing it in May 2011, over 20 years after it was written, was to be clear that the story was set in 1990. Uh, It was because the setup involved a true story of when I went to meet my friend Andy, who has been on this show. When I first met him, we went to meet near the Centrepoint building in London, and he didn't turn up or at least I thought he didn't turn up and he thought I didn't turn up it turned out we were waiting at the wrong entrance he was waiting at one entrance of the station and I was waiting at another entrance and we just didn't see each other and this was before mobile phones um, if there'd been mobile phones the story wouldn't have happened so yeah when I typed it up I did need to sort of explain that this was uh, prior to mobile phones when you know you agreed to meet somebody and if you if your train was two hours late, you had no way of telling the person. that's what was going on. So anyway. from my chrysalis yes (laughs) yeah i i I just wanted to talk to you a little bit um um, about a book that i wrote um about 10 years ago and i know obviously you write poetry as well Um, well after a fashion
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i don't um, publish it you know (laughs) well (laughs) not like you flash people
1: (laughs) (laughs) well it's uh it's, it always feels like it's come out the other side these days in that to, the, the sites I used to use to publish my stuff have, have now been tinkered with so much that they're almost impossible to use so, oh, right. um, so there's
0: no uh, point me asking your advice and how do I do this then Paul because no, you know
1: that, no? <laughs> no I'm currently stuck on a couple of projects where I just can't get the thing loaded onto the site and, Right. Um, and it tells you to Oh, there's a, there's this problem and there's that problem and you think what uh, what what is that what does that mean? How, how do I correct this? Mm. Uh, uh, you know, you think you just uh, really uh, want to
0: go. Uh, it's like it a lot was, of things. You just want to go, sort of press and shoot, it, don't you? you know? It
1: was so easy. Well, it was so easy mm. back in the day. You just load a load a a, a, a word document on and mm. it would turn it into a PDF and then you know wow. there might need to be a little bit of tinkering and then it, but then it was almost ready to go. But it's just wow. become. Um, yeah, it's a shame, but uh, yeah, that fascinates me. That because, like I say, I, I've talked I've, well, I've, I've I've talked a lot
0: about doing some publishing, mm, but mm. Uh, the one and only time I actually went onto one of those sites to try it out, my brain felt like it was going to fall out of my ears. I well, guess, that's so. what
1: I feel like now, but it never used to be to be like mm. like that. And there are alternatives, but I haven't found them any easy to use either. So I'm glad. Well, I'm you po- are prolific. You are well, prolific. I, I how how but, many books is it now, Paul? Uh, it's high. Over, Is it over in the high 20, dozens? Over over twenty, uh, yeah, over twenty. Well, because so I, I did my mass of commons books, which was sort of right. kid sort of um, books. But then the poetry books, yeah, I, I was doing one a year for about fifteen years, and then some years I did more than. Um, so more it, so than it was that.
0: like the, uh, the the Paul Chan, the shy Yeti Annual. <laughs>
1: yeah. Did it solve um, Christmas for you several years? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I used, to, and of course, I have my blog. I used to write things for my, yes. my blog at Christmas time as well. Um, but uh, the book that I am talking, I've been talking about in this episode, is mm. called "Funeral for a Shoe." Funeral it, for a shoe. Few, yeah. Uh, and it was the third of three books that I published in okay. twenty eleven. It was one of my very prolific years, and mm. um, yeah, the, the sort of central part of of it um, was is there a thrust well I, I, I when I it was only when I started to record this episode i I'd forgotten that I, I, because even in my earlier poetry books, there were poems, and then there would be what I call prose pieces because right. I was never hundred percent convinced they were poems i they I know that obviously poetry doesn't have to rhyme, although a lot of mm. mine does because it suits the sort of poems I like. like, yeah, and I find it a, a challenge to to make it to do it well. Um, which I think sometimes people who don't like rhyming poetry, they just dismiss it mm, because right. that, I don't know because there's there's so many examples of people not doing it well. But there are mm. obviously people plenty of examples of people doing it well, and obviously certain genres work better.
0: Well, you must um, believe you do it well. I mean, you, you
1: have to have a certain amount of confidence in your work yes. to put it out
0: there, don't you? I mean, yeah. yeah, you
1: don't put out the first draft if it if it, if it's got bits that need changing. You you work at it until it. It, 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 it's good, but
0: um, is it impertinent of me to ask you about these volumes and ask you how how many pieces are in 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 an average release?
1: Is, well, it, this, is it twenty is a,
0: poems or two hundred or two thousand?
1: Well, th- this this particular one is about three hundred and fifty pages, right? And right. There's, about, yeah. there's about there's about a hundred pieces in here. But oh, yeah. by, by you're, from, write,
0: you're writing classical poetry of of the uh, the, <laughs> the sort of Homer's Iliad, the pages, and pages and pages.
1: Well, no, well actually no, because but, but, I always had a limit to like the length. I was, I had a sort of. I used to go to write a writer's circle. I think I can right. say this now because the pe- the, the people who are, uh, who, are, who were there are probably no longer with us. Because I was like a teenager. You were the child. And I was a child, and the people in the group were almost retirees then, right. and, I, and I was by far the youngest, and mm-hmm. there'd be people reading poems, and they'd be like, you think, oh, they're nearly finished. Oh, turn over the oh. next page, and the next page. Of oh, course, oh. this is really is a lot. When they're going to stop, they can't possibly read all of this. Mm-hmm. So I always had in my head a sort of right. well, I won't write a poem that's longer than Two Sides, Very Four, or mm-hmm. whatever. And,
0: uh, what's, uh, would you say, there, in terms of p- performance poetry, there is definitely... A maximum time that a performance poem should be. I I mean, because I know you're a terribly brave man. I mean, I know you've you've done performance poetry. You've actually stood up in front of people and done this. (laughs) To my to my mind is, I mean, I can I can talk into a microphone in my own house, but. But the idea of actually talking into a microphone in front of a room full of judgy people, yeah. quite frankly, uh, is terrifying. I mean, did, did, I mean, when you did performance poetry, did you have to do three or six, or did you have to have a dozen with you, or, or did people start throwing tomatoes after two?
1: Or what well, uh, well, I started when I started doing it. It was open mic nights, and yeah, right. you'd you'd. Um, was well, it like
0: comedy? I mean, or is it open mic like, poetry
1: reading specifically it could, for poetry? Yeah, it was. Yes, it was a. It was at a poetry cafe in, right. in Covent Garden. You got five minutes, and I, you know, you'd have to try and judge. Can I? Can I get th- three into five minutes? Or you don't mm. want to get gonged off? Mm. Um, and it and it was like the only trouble was you get quite a lot of. You might get up to twenty or thirty people wanting to do it, mm. yes. and which could be and it and it was randomly picked by the guy doing right. the show. So five
0: minutes find, each, that's an hour and a half, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, but you could find that... But then it's clapping and breaks. And, yeah. and, and and you could find that you were going to be the last one. And, it's you know, gone midnight! Uh, not. But it was during the work, working week, and it was sort of... So quite quickly, I kind of found out that I could hire the space. Right. Um, and I used to do my own shows, which I, oh, okay. I don't know that many people... Without some sort of, no, I mean, that takes some chutzpah. That's, you have serious <laughs> faith
0: in your in your own poetry to do that, haven't you?
1: Well, I just didn't want to have just five minutes. I'd rather no, pay no. my fifty pounds and do my do my to own be fair, show. I've been
0: to the Edinburgh Festival and there've been shows on at three in the morning, and you know that there's there's two people in the audience and they've been in the pub all night, and you do kind of thing. You really have to want to do that show to yeah. actually be prepared to go in the underbelly for. Uh, uh, in the morning and pay for the privilege. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I try. I mean, obviously, I'd have friends coming along, so I was ne- yes. it was never down to that few people. It was very difficult to get people. or oh, um, your
0: friends! I mean, they're the worst, aren't they? They're, <laughs> the, they're the worst critics you could possibly have.
1: <laughs> but but it'd be difficult to get people who didn't know me, which is what you really wanted yes, to do, is to get. Uh, well, you get uh, that in uh, podcasting as well, Paul. Let's be frank. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you. I sort of did feel a bit. You get people going. Well, who is this person? Because I didn't mm. really like the competitive side of, mm. of or the the open mics were only limited. Mm. Sort of, it was it was a, it was it was fun to do to start with. Mm. But really, if I was going to do it, I wanted to kind of. I met a few people along the way, and I also did charity shows. I, I had I'd have um, my friend John, who I didn't know when I started, but I was introduced to, and he he was uh, an interesting poet, and he would come and he would. Happily be my, not exactly my support act, Stupid. but I'd read, I'd, <laughs> I'd start, I'd read, five, I don't know, six, seven poems, then John would get 20 minutes, well, 10 minutes or whatever, oh, right. and I'd so and then I'd come back. then it wasn't just I, I, you then? It, was, it wasn't it was, just me, but it was kind of me who was organising it, and and John was just a very generous you know, he didn't mm. expect me to. Mm. Well, I you know I want to have. Did
0: you, you emcee you it yourself, or did
1: you yeah, have another? MC? Yeah, yeah. I I, I sort of and, did and now you know, live on stage <laughs> 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 I should have got Yeti Uncle John to come on, but uh, <laughs> I don't know where he was back then. But uh, uh, but yeah, I did them from about two thousand and nine to twenty sixteen. And, and it sort of just about overlaps with the start of me doing and how doing And how many a year would you... How many a week? Uh, how many uh, a year would you do? About, about four. But it started to get more more expensive um, as different but people Did you charge over. people? I mean... I tried different things. We, I, tried I mean, doing, did you make your money back, I suppose, is what I'm saying? Well, I was always sort of torn between, um, yeah, should I... I ought to make my money back and then anything extra should be for the charity... Um, oh. Sometimes I do that. Sometimes I just kind of go, "Well, this is a, you know, this, this is my hobby, and it's going to cost me something." Yeah. Um, so I, I I won't worry about getting my money back. I I just worry about making some, you know, even if I make forty quid for a charity or mm. or or more. And mm. sometimes I had I'd have I, for for about six months I had an agent um, mm. who was, at, but I was my 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 friend Callum, uh, his sister was considering whether she was going to be an agent for, mm. for talent but there were people I think she found that that most people were far too um, It's ambitious difficult. They, they, yeah. they they were far too mm. ambitious and they kind of thought just because they could sing like um, Frank Sinatra songs that they should yeah. be in the West End rather yeah. than on a boat well, or in a, I think
0: there's a lot There's a lot of that there's a lot of people who think they're better
1: than they are certainly. Where, whereas I was the other way round where I was yeah. kind of just grateful. I'm happy to I do what th- I'm doing. Yeah, and or you know, if she could help me in some way, or it's put me in contact with some, yeah, or put me in contact with somewhere. But uh, um, so, how
0: many copies of your your your
1: poetry book did you sell?
0: Did you did you sell them at the venues? I suppose I sell was
1: them at the, the venues, and I would, I also it kind of taught me sort of things about okay, well, it's all very well having this 352 page book because because my books are funny anyway. When I mm. I also got the experience of going to L.A. Uh, when Mm. I was um, uh, going to LA quite a lot around this Mm. time, and I did a smoke mic over there, and they were kind of... International. uh, Sort of. They were, And I was also making my videos around that time, Mm. which I put on YouTube, of me sort of performing, like going to Mm. Paris and doing some videos from Paris, sort of. Um, uh, And... My, ah, my
0: French poetry portrait enfant. <laughs>
1: well, my my books have photos in. Yeah. Um, they also have sort of behind the scenes. What inspired me? To, I thought if I don't write them down, I'll I'll forget. Um, you see, well, it's
0: just my understanding of the poetry book as the form is they're usually mm-hmm. more like pamphlets or very slim volumes. So that, 352 pages is a serious wadge
1: of poems. Well, it, how many I mean,
0: how many actual poems are in
1: there? I, I, there are a hundred different... Thi- I mean, in, in Funeral for a Shoe, I'd, around 2011, I kind of started doing short, some short stories as well. So right. as the books went through... Um, that year, that there was, I think Funeral for a Year, I've just, I mean, i kind of not looked at it for a while. There's a lot more short stories there are more short stories in this than there are poems but um, but that was a sort of transition. But is
0: the, is the title I mean, is it a theme or is that just that's, you know, because quite a lot of po- poetry books are based on the title of one poem and there's no real common thread, you know. There I, mean, was I did a... once think about putting my angry poems together and calling it mm. the angry poems but mm. equally, you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was. Uh, I decided nobody wants to read that. I've mean, I already well, given away for free anyway. But um, no, I, well, yeah. I just, I'm, just, I'm just fascinated by because so, you know what was that funeral for a shoe thing a, a running thread well, uh, through, uh, throughout yeah,
1: it or not? It, yeah, there were fi- there were sort of five pieces about. Uh, um, it was it was around the time when when I was going to LA. I got very into Converse trainers, um, mm-hmm. and I. I started buying more and more and also when I was doing my shows I'd have a we you know try and get things that looked sort of kind of good for performing with um slightly more wacky it is ones. true
0: the only pair I ever bought I bought when I was in America in California mm. so mm-hmm. uh, I, can, uh, I can see that yeah.
1: and I just thought, I think I started thinking along the lines of it's sort of interesting to ha- to have the uh, like you go all these, you wear these shoes, and you're going all mm. these, having all these adventures, and then one day mm. they start to fall apart. And you, mm. I, I actually felt quite sad when I lost some of the ones that I'd got mm. early, early on. And I think that. Did you bury
0: of, it or cremated?
1: I, 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 don't think I, I don't think I, I do remember buying a pair in, um, in Portland and kind of knowing that I, I deliberately wore a pair that was beginning to fall apart. Right. Um, over there because I knew I'd I only have a limited amount of space in my case, mm. so I remember um, just sort of buying a new pair and knowing that that pair that I'd kind of brought with me, I was going to have to, um, and I left I, I left it in a bin in I left the pair wow. in a bin uh, somewhere on the Portland coast, wow. um, and, and even then I was kind of like oh the. the- those shoes weren't quite as battered as I would have yeah. had I had, I, had, I had somebody more somebody may I have kept...
0: fished through the bin you may have made yeah. a homeless person very happy so yes yeah. you've <laughs> done your bit there but it's I mean I so saw you said a few words over the bin before you, you yeah. Know, yeah oh so, so uh, I, I never took to is it Portland Oregon yes
1: yeah, yeah I, I never
0: I, I never took to Portland Oregon I liked Oregon mm. not so keen on Portland yeah. well, that's just because I uh, the only time I went there I was traveling alone and I, I got into it, uh, the, the the motorway, the the, the freeway was just mm. uh, terrified me. Mm. And I tried to park up and I, I got so frightened in the city of Portland mm. that I parked my car in one of these... I, I, you know, when you're driving and you haven't got um, a sat it goes pre satnav, mm. you've only got yourself in the car and you're trying to find a parking spot in a city mm. and you're mm. trying not to crash the car. And I went into the... I found this... Uh, parking garage and I I managed to pull into it and it was it was it was costing me about eight dollars an hour or something so I basically walked up the road and thought I'm going to forget where I've parked it so I literally I spent 40 minutes in Portland before I got back in the car and got out as soon as I could and then on the freeway driving out I nearly had such a terrible collision and I got honked at because I was just in such a flap yeah, I, I stuck to more countryfied places after that, and then when I got to San Francisco, I had a guide, so it was a mm. lot easier. Mm. So. Well, I was a,
1: I was a passenger, so I was lucky I didn't ah. have to.
0: Well, to I mean, I much. like driving in America. I used to like driving in America. Mm. It's a long time since I've done mm. it now, but uh, but that that poor. Funnily enough, I, Seattle didn't bother me. You know, San Francisco didn't bother me. It, but. For uh, for some reason, driving in Portland terrified me. Maybe it was it was just a particularly rainy day. Yeah, I do remember trying to get to the coast in Portland. I was um, oh, where was it? Eugene, I think it was mm. Eugene, and uh, the heavens opened. I I've never seen rain like it. And I drove a hundred miles down a road, and I'd taken the wrong two. again, pre-Satna, and I ended up going into this country park, I think it was or whatever national park, and I ended up driving. Uh, about 50 miles into this national park, all the way to a place that basically the road turned round and went back on itself.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I wasn't very good at driving in Oregon, to be fair. It, <laughs> it wasn't, my, wasn't my finest hour, although I did go to Salem and I made a specific point of going to Tacoma because I wanted to see the Tacoma-Narrows Bridge, even though I knew it wasn't the one that was galloping Gertie. <laughs> so there we yeah. go.
1: Yeah.
0: There we are. That's a <laughs> Oregon tale.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, I, I remember when I, I was doing, I was doing, I did a couple of sh- shows, yeah. little shows at the, uh, and I spot a sort of, LA version of the poetry cafe, yeah. and and yeah, that, I, I don't think my books were what poetry books were supposed to look like, but then I never, much liked poetry books. Actually.
0: Well, I mean, did you actually I, take a
1: stack with you when you went to? Yeah, I did, yeah, I took some. Huh. And I sell well, a, did you have did a separate case, just full of books? <laughs> no, I just—I knew I wasn't going to sell loads and loads, so I just took half a dozen or whatever. <gasps> or maybe... two. Uh, but, um, yeah, because it was around that time I was sort of making the videos as you well. You would not have had room for
0: the shoes if you'd sold more books.
1: Uh, yeah. It, it, it was... It was
0: uh, didn't you try and sneak a couple into your local Barnes & Noble and just put a few <laughs> on it?
1: Yeah, I should have done that. The... the um, <laughs> I guess I just I thought well the thing is if you're doing a a book you've got to make it the book that you would want and if it yes and, and first and foremost it has to be a book that you yourself would want to read I think. and 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 now there are things in here that I would not have remembered had I not included them in the fact file section and um, are they things of beauty well, of course they are. I, 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 I the only trouble I, ha- I I, I, could have done with knowing someone like you back when I was designing the covers because I'm not an artistic person. Mm. So I, I, what I did, I tried things like doing collages and photographing them. I tried, I, I, had, I met various different people who would do me little doodles or would do me like a yeti character. Mm. And actually, funeral for a shoe, I actually paid a, an artist I met online to do, as there were five little stories about this, few, yeah. this shoe business, um, I, I got this guy to do five different um, black and white drawings that I could include with each of the stories so mm. uh, it was nice to better cl- collaborate in some of those later books mm. with people who I've met online mm.
0: um, Is it a satisfying hardback
1: though or is it
0: cause I oh, there's something very very satisfying about a nice
1: chunky hardback Yeah I do have hardback copies of all of my books because because they were available, and yes, it is. It's uh, being a librarian, um, it, it, you appreciate uh, hardbacks, and mm. uh, yeah. So, so, uh,
0: so yeah. Who, uh, are these all? Uh, where where would they? Where, who published them for
1: you? Well, it's Lulu.com. They're, still, Lula, they're right. still up. They're still. Well, on. I mean, the
0: actual qu- the quality of the
1: product is 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 yeah, satisfactory. Yeah, certainly, certainly was back uh, back when I was dust jackets. L- dust jackets. Yeah. Oh, oh, um, oh! You get me all excited now.
0: Uh, <laughs> you have to send me a photograph of this. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I should be rubbing my thighs at, at the excitement of it all.
1: But it was a bit, like, a bit like when I started podcasting. I, I didn't quite know where to start, and you just no. take each, like getting the books, you kind putting the books on, uh, getting them published. You kind of take it step by step. Like, okay, well, how am I going to do this, or how? And then you should never ask this
0: question, but uh, do you have a favourite? I mean, because I know you should never
1: have a favourite, but do you have a favourite book? Well, Funeral for a Shoe is here at the moment. I can't... Can't Well, if it's listening... I put put my hands over its ears. Um, I I, I am very fond of the book that I released before this, which I did an episode about quite recently, um, Vampire Cows of Scunthorpe. Mm. Um, and, and that's a nice mixture between poems and 100-word stories, mm. uh, because um, uh, it, they were something that I could also perform, but 100-word yes. stories, you could just say, well, I'm just going to, you know, when I have a little break from poetry, I'm just going to read you two or three of these, and, and they were so quick to to perform that... Uh, um, but I, I didn't really have... Um, no, I'm,
0: in, I'm a gog. I'm in, I'm in awe. I'm in awe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, the thing is, I mean, I'm I'm amazed at the commitment. I my, mean, you know, as, as you know, with my my levels of commitment, I usually fall stumble at the first hurdle. So, but I've yeah. never actually managed to get words onto paper yet. So, uh-huh. in printed paper.
1: Actually. Well, I never learned anything because my I was already well in my 30s, and there's no way it was stressful enough. There was no way I was going to put myself in the position of having to learn. Thirty poems or something, which is what people you probably start to get interesting in the thirties.
0: Eh? I, I, but <laughs> I, I, someone that I was reading only today online, someone said if you could say, say three words to your eighteen-year-old self, what would they be? And I, I was thinking about this, and I thought it's
1: you know nothing. Oh yeah, my thirties um, probably my favourite yeah. era,
0: For um, it all went horribly wrong. Yeah, yeah <laughs> before yeah. entropy yeah. set in. Yes. I yeah, well,
1: a lot of <laughs> I, a lot of people are nostalgic for I don't know the eighties or the nineties, but yeah. I'm very fond of the noughties when I was sort of um, in my thirties. Young and vital and full of sap. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Well, anyway, thank you, Martin. I, I just wanted to sort of have a bit of a poetic uh, sort of... No, I don't stuff. know whether
0: we managed that, but we did something. But, yes,
1: we, 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 <laughs> we, had a, we had a little chat and uh, I shall read a few more of the pieces mm-hmm. to the listeners now and see what they think. I,
0: will, I must admit I, I will. I must, I, I must dive in and, and re-examine the world of poetry because I
1: it it is a, it is a form that
0: I actually find very satisfying. It it, it mm. in in when you know sometimes when you're trying to get your thoughts processed, mm. I I do use it as therapy more than anything. Really, it's a way of getting my thoughts. But because you have to think about the words a bit, it makes you actually think about the thought a bit. Mm. If you see what I mean, I used to have terrible nights sometimes when I was in such a bad mood or such a bad place, and I would I would haiku my way out of it. Mm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's probably very easy to fill a 352-page book if you put just one haiku on every page. <laughs> I'm assuming. I'm assuming you're you're a big fan of typography and space.
1: Oh well, no, no, there was not much space in, in uh, these books. Uh, that's one of the things the Americans said was that gosh, there isn't, there isn't uh, an area of, of blank space in this book because if there was space, then a photo went into it. So, um, ah. but. Uh,
0: but I do sometimes like a, a word with uh, sorry a page with very few words on it, or indeed a word with very few pages on it. Did also, but <laughs>
1: there we go. But, uh, anyway, nice to talk. you. Yeah, good to talk to you. Thank, thank you for thank you for having a chat.
0: Read, read more. Entertain my ears. Mm-hmm.
1: feast is called free coffee it's sort of based on a true story although well maybe i'll find um that as i go on only some of it is i can't remember now but anyway i did used to get well i think it was just policy of um the prep coffee house um uh, that if you were like a regular you sometimes got a free coffee and it wasn't like one of those reward schemes where you had a card Uh, It literally came down to the fact that the staff recognised you and then you'd get one and it was always, uh, yeah, it was always a nice surprise though. (laughs) So this is free coffee. That first time the lady at the cafe offered me free coffee, I was so pleased. Today your coffee is on the house, she said. It was a small pleasantry, but I positively skipped to work. She said it again the next time. Today your coffee is free. I was still pleased. I mean, a free coffee. Not just once, but twice in the same week. It happened again. Good morning. Uh, Danish pastry and a coffee, please. Danish pastry, 125. Your coffee is free. Coffee? Free? Practically all the time. A saving of one pound every morning. An agreeable start to the day. After those first few times, I always made sure that I stood in her queue. But pretty quickly, it stopped being a novelty. I began to expect it. Free coffee. I'd feel cheated if she wasn't there or I couldn't reach her counter. God forbid that I actually had to pay for it. I was a loyal customer. Didn't they know that? I come here every day and that nice lady gives me coffee for free. I never actually said it. But had any of the staff been telepathic, then that was definitely the message I was communicating. Things had changed. And then one morning even she didn't give me coffee free. She could see I was cross, but she didn't say anything. Her eyes said it all. Free coffee is not a right. It is my privilege to decide. I smiled, but I did not go back for several weeks. Hurt. Betrayed. Too much caffeine, maybe. Still, I was thinking about it just now. Free coffee is like a lot of things. Liberty. Democracy. Sex with someone hot. At first you're just so glad to receive it. But then over time you actually expect it. Begin to take it for granted. One day you get cross. Stamp your feet and look hard done by. But it's too late. It's gone. No freedom of choice. No more fantastic sex with your hot and steamy Puerto Rican next-door neighbour. And most of all, no free coffee. Yeah, the last bit wasn't... I didn't have hot sex with my Puerto Rican next-door neighbour. This is called From Argument to Ornament. It's a good thing I have a large garden for my statues. I kind of told myself I'd stop collecting. Only people can be so rude... When I moved from my last house, I left a lot that I'd accrued over the years. Some I sold online, some I just abandoned. There were almost 300. I've been in the new house six months and I've already got 20 new ones. That's quite a lot. Why are people so spiteful? The postman, the milkman, the lady at the corner shop, the twins across the road, that minibus of drunk hen-night girls. I try not to get cross, but I can't help myself. I try not to stare, but the snakes start to nip, and then, naughty, I know, the dark glasses come off. It's not easy being a gorgon, you know. Believe me, you don't want to argue with me about it. This one's called Happy for Them. My ex told me this evening that he was marrying his new partner. I say new, but they've been seeing one another for 18 months now. That's almost as long as we actually dated. I'm happy for them, of course. I like them both and it's not even as if it was a surprise. That said, it's still a shock. Somewhere inside me I feel a panic, like, like I missed out somehow. If there was ever a chance for a reunion, then it is now definitely gone. I don't even know nor understand why I'm having these thoughts. It was I who ended things. It was I who felt dissatisfied. And as for a reunion, it was never on the cards. Never even occurred to me until now. Until it... Suddenly became impossible. Time unravels, unfurling before my eyes. The breakup seems new again, like yesterday. Good memories crowd around cruelly. Bad memories are nowhere to be found. I breathe in deeply, boil the kettle, make tea, write the wedding date on the calendar, then check for potential gifts online. Time to buy a new hat, to let bygones be bygones. Time to move on and be happy for them. And I truly am. Truly happy. This one's called Hot for Just One Night. I'd never fancied you. You were just you. Just not my idea of hot. Too tall, too thin, too full of yourself. Too neat and yet somehow too scruffy. Too tense. Too terse. Sarcastic and distant. Not what I desired. Not until that night. You were my friend no more. Until, I guess it was the strobe lights on the dance floor that did it. The smell of your aftershave. The comfort of your strong arms as we danced. It was all that, and maybe the drink. That night I couldn't keep my hands off you. Everything you said was funny, everything you did was wonderful. We danced until closing time, and then made out behind the club, dressing you quickly, making you moan. Later in the back of the car, I was sick on your new Converse trainers, but I was smiling, there in the darkness. You told me not to worry, that you would put them in the washing machine. Then you told me that you loved me, and I laughed and could not stop. Eventually you proposed, and I said, Ask me again tomorrow. Yet by tomorrow, the moment had passed. But, oh, what a moment. I still wonder where I'd be if I'd said yes, but the truth is, I simply never fancied you. You were just you, just not my idea of hot. Oh, how I wish I'd felt differently. This one's called, I'm a Stooge for Your Love. I'm a Stooge for Your Love, I'm the butt of your joke. Lay your slapstick on me, I'm your devoted bloke. I am happy enough if you're likely to tease. Take your embarrassing photos, I will even say cheese. You won't hear me protest at your stupendous taunting, at the power you wield, that you get off on flaunting. I'm a stooge for your love, for your mean-mannered greeting. I just love when you nag oh just keep on repeating. I'm a stooge for your love, I'm a little bit manic. I'm used to your ways and I try not to panic. I am happy enough to take all your abusing because I know you will laugh that you find it amusing. You will not hear me moan about the way I am treated. I will not walk away, I will not be defeated. I'm a stooge for your love, I must be quite demented to put up with your tricks to live life so tormented. I'm a stooge for your love, I am under attack. So you targeted me, let me take all the flack. I am happy enough to be playing your fool, but I need you to like me if I play by the rule. You will not hear me complain, no, you will not hear me weeping. I save that for the nights when you're so sweetly sleeping. I'm a stooge for your love. I just hope you won't trade me. For I'm here because of you. You're the bully who made me. I would like to read some of these longer ones, but uh, I'll have to stick to the one-page ones, I think. Uh, This is called International Squid Rescue. I was reading the papers today, and I saw that it said the squid need our help. It's dreadful. What are they going to do? Apparently ocean noise pollution is hurting their brains, blowing holes in their sweet, squishy heads. It's appalling, intensely horrible. We've got to help them, you So here is my suggestion. We need to look after them until the bad sea karma passes. This probably means adopting them. Volunteers are required, but it's much easier than you'd think. So I, I have a proposal. This is what I'm going to do. I have room for one of them in my airing cupboard and maybe for one more in the bath. I'm toying with the idea of keeping a couple of the baby ones in the basin in the bathroom and then maybe another in the kitchen sink. My cat has promised to foster another and I believe he intends to ride one to the supermarket when he goes out to pick up our weekly shop. Of course, there's no reason why they can't pay their way if they're staying. In addition to my own immediate household, my mother has volunteered to wear one as a hat and I don't see why I couldn't do the same. They're waterproof, you know. It's a no-brainer. The cat is also considering whether he has room for one on his head. for Just a little one, maybe. We're going to discuss it tonight and decide. My father isn't keen, but I expect him to come around eventually. After all, he is bald. So presumably his head must get cold during the winter months. What about you? What will you be doing? Don't forget, they have very powerful beaks. Every cutlery drawer up and down the country should have one. They make excellent bottle openers and can whip around the top of a baked bean can in seconds. So come on, play your part. Join us at International Squid Rescue. It's about being there for our floppy-limbed friends. Because you know they do the same for us. Just don't anybody mention calamari. Alright? This one's called Love Go Round. What can I do just to get you to love me? What can I do just to get a quick squeeze? Should I do magic or just ask you nicely? Would you ever seduce me if I asked simply, Please? Would you give me your love if I took you for dinner, Got a little bit thinner or worshipped your name? If I bought you some flowers or read the instructions and learnt how to play by the rules of your game but I fear that you're looking for more than affection in me being attentive or just a bit flash for I see in your eyes what you crave is financial. What you want for your love is a pile of hard cash. Money makes the love go round. Although I'm not sure where I read it still I'm happy just to buy your love maybe take romance on credit. What can I do just to get you to need me? What can I do just to get a quick snog? Should I do acrobatics or dance on the ceiling? Well, I'm happy to do that, to go the whole hog. Would you give me your love if I sent you a letter, where I outlined the deal if I drew you a chart? I have a fine five-year plan that I think might attract you. At the end of the term, I'll have earned me your heart. But I feel that you're focused on more than seduction. You want an investment and not just a rash. For I see in your eyes you like luxury living. What you want from me most is unlimited cash.' Money makes the love go round, and I've considered your advice. Yes, I have spoken to the bank, so all I need from you is a price. What can I do just to get you to want me? What can I do now that won't leave me poor? I'm beginning to think that your motives are suspect, that you don't care a lot, I'm pretty damn sure. But I have a pipe dream where we're living together, and I've bought you a cat and a small yappy dog. And the whole world is jealous of our happy ending. When they see us around, they are simply agog. But I know this won't happen, so why do I hope it? You'll just drain all my funds and then make a quick dash. Oh, why are you so shallow? Why am I so needy? When real love is worth more than a safe full of cash. Money makes the love go round, leaving me a nervous wreck. So what I've really got to say to you is, can I can I write you out a cheque? Well, listeners, there are many other pieces to be read from this collection. But um, I think that I will read you uh, the first instalment of Funeral for a Shoe. It's possible that uh, in in maybe as extra material in future chatbox episodes, I'll read you the other four parts. I probably could have read all five, but uh, anyway, I wanted to give you more of a, a broad um, spectrum across uh, this collection. So, energy at the funeral for a shoe, part one. Beloved shoe, you carried me almost every day for three years. We went places, boy, did we travel to the park, to the shops. We even walked up there on the moon taking big, big steps, just a few at a time and carefully. Do you remember, old friend? We liked it up there. The view was good, very good. Do you recall we peeped through opera glasses? Well, I did. You were down there on my feet with your brother. But still, you were there, and we peered, trying to catch sight of the ladies we liked and the gents who we wanted to be like, at ice cream vans and scandal. As for the moon itself, we didn't much like the decor. Too bland for our tastes. No museums, no pubs, very little to brag about, and no post offices. All that tosh about the moon being made of cheese, well that's rubbish. And if there ever had been little green men there, then they had long gone. I can't say I blame them either. No, there's one thing I'll say about the moon, and that is that it's a great place to stand to look down on other things. During sporting events, New Year's celebrations, wars, that kind of thing always very quiet and crowdless there's always a parking space up there and that's not something you can take for granted these days oh yes, you and I went places we had some adventures but now, now you're gone leaving me a little lopsided one shoe still holding on the other foot left naked but for a sock I'm really going to miss you and so will my bunion well listeners, that's all we've got time for so, um, yeah Funeral for a shoe, a lot more prose based than I'd remembered. As I have said before, we will be celebrating twenty years of my first collection at some point, and then I can't remember if I wrote a book in twenty twelve or whether I didn't finish it until twenty thirteen. Definitely released one when I turned forty, uh, which would have been twenty thirteen. But uh, anyway, I, I must look. I've forgotten. You see, I completely forgotten. I completely forgotten. Anyway, um, there will be a few more poems after the end credits. So uh, stick around. But uh, anyway, for now, thank you and thank you, Martin, for joining me for a bit of a poetry chat. And uh, yeah, we'll be back soon. Okay, you take care. Bye bye for now. Bye now. Bye bye. mother meet paris i think it's fair to say that my mother was a little skeptical when i asked her to meet my new fiance in fact she sighed audibly paris she declared yes mother i replied the city of paris you're intending to marry the city of paris yes mother please don't be upset we want you to be happy for us i am dear she assured me but i was pretty certain that she didn't consider it to be a perfect match be fair, she has put up with a lot. I was once engaged to Florence in Italy. We discussed living together, her coming back to London to share my flat, but it just never worked out. Other than a mild flirtation with Los Angeles, I have been single now for quite some time. I guess Mother was hoping that I would meet someone a little more ideal, at least in her eyes. How will you live together, Mother asked, trying to appear calm. This time I intend to move to be with her, I explained. It's just easier. You can come visit, of course. I tend to live at the top of the Eiffel Tower. That way I can see more of her. Mother seemed to like that idea. She is quite a renowned traveller in our family, and if they gave out medals for shopping, she would have long since received gold. What about grandchildren, she inquired after a moment's pause. Oh, we have discussed that, I confirmed. Paris already has responsibility for well over two million people, not to mention all the tourists who come to visit. So it seems sensible if I adopt those in support of her. Oh, that's nice, dear. Mother nodded, but looked a little numb. I was hoping that in time she would ask more, but just then my mobile rung. I stared nervously at the screen, and Mother noticed my reticence, which only encouraged her curiosity all the more. "'Who is it, dear?' she inquired, as I broke the call, hopeful that it might be Paris, or maybe some ordinary flesh-and-blood female of my acquaintance. "'Oh, dear,' I frowned as a furious text message arrived in my inbox. "'It's my ex, Berlin.' She just heard about the engagement and boy is she mad. we have a voice. Unique
0: voices in podcasting. net.
1: This is called A Most Boring Man. My best friend Sarah and I often meet for lunch. We went to college together and ended up working as personal assistants for senior businessmen in big companies in the city. Initially at opposite ends of London, but more recently in the same area. So now we tend to meet for lunch at least twice a week. We were in our favourite cafe yesterday chatting about our week as we do. But then we both tend to go silent and start people-watching. It's just something we've always done since college. On that occasion, we both noticed this middle-aged couple about two tables across from us. She was being very quiet, whilst he was being very loud. He was quite an ordinary-looking man, smart suit, receding hair, nice watch. She, on the other hand, was pretty in an English rose kind of way. At first we thought that he was scolding her for something, but then we realised he was actually boasting about his career, His lifestyle, his car, the big house, the whole deal. The woman he was with was obviously bored silly. Can you believe that, Sarah, I whispered. He really thinks that sort of thing matters. I mean, for some people it probably does, but but with such a toxic, dull personality as his, he's never going to win her over. She was pretending to listen, but was quite clearly at the point of falling asleep. But his companion was not the only one. Sarah had seen something. Look at that, Angie she gasped, indicating a dark shape projected on the wall by the man, the shape that seemed to be having an afternoon nap. Did you ever see anything like it? I hadn't. It was quite a sight. Oh my, I giggled. He's so boring, even his shadow falls asleep when he talks. I think that was a wonderful episode by Paul, don't you? Oh, my God. I sure do. Boy, I'm telling you, I really do. No, that was good. All right, yeah. No, seriously, that was a great episode. I'm a big fan of his poetry.
0: Four
1: hundred and eighty-seven. Flabbergasted Flabbergasted